with that, I want to start out this morning. I got this gift this week, and it's kind of it's kind of a unique gift. And um, and and, and it's, it's actually I don't know I don't know if there's actually any value to this, but someone came in and, and brought me this old Bible, and I don't know I don't know how old it is. I know that you, you look inside and the pages they just you know it looks old, <laughs> smells old. It is the uh, the authorized version. And, uh, and I, I don't think there's a ton of value in this Bible. I don't know how, I don't think it's that old, but it's old enough. And, and, and it was a really cool gift. Somebody came and brought it in to me this week. And I thought, that's really awesome. And, and it's awesome because of who brought it in. And, and sometimes you get a gift, and, and the gift means more of who brought it in and the thoughtfulness that they had in bringing it in. And so to explain this story um, and where this Bible came from, this past winter, uh, I had one of those weeks. And I know you guys have those weeks where you've got this to-do list that just seems like it's never-ending. And it's just like, it's like, a, it's like old scroll. And it just keeps going and going and going. And I had a number of projects that I was working on. And I had a couple deadlines coming up. And, and I was behind. And it was, it was a Friday. And so that means I had to have my sermon done by the end of the day so I could go home. Uh, my, my wife, she wanted to do family movie night and pizza night, so I couldn't go home and work that night. We had to do the family thing, which was good. Saturday, I couldn't catch up on any missed work because we had something going on as a family on Saturday. So I knew, like, Friday afternoon, like, I have to get after it. Like, I've got to focus and, and, and just get stuff done and get the stuff done. And I remember I'm sitting in my office, and if you don't know where our office is, well, our ministry center... Um, is on Yakima Avenue, um, right there between 3rd and 4th Street. And uh, so I'm sitting in my office. My office is right off the front door. And I'm in there, and I'm, and I'm hammering away. And all of a sudden, the front door opened. Now, I like, I like our office being on Yakima Avenue. I think you get a lot of uh, tra- you know, foot traffic, people walking by. And we often get people who come in and say, hey, can we, can we talk with you? Hey, what's this place about? Would you pray with us? This and that. And it's great. I love, I love that aspect of where our ministry center is. But on this specific day, like I didn't have time for this interruption. Like this, I had too much to do and I, I just didn't have time. So I heard that door start to open and I'm just going to be straight up honest. I took my chair and I rolled it into the farthest corner in my little office and I slumped down as far as I could in my chair thinking, maybe if he doesn't see me, then they'll just walk back out. Unfortunately, like I said, my little office is right inside the main door and my door was open. He looked in and said, what are you doing? I'm like, the lights, aren't they wonderful lights? I love the lights. And, uh, and he says, hey, hey, would you mind if I come in and, and, and talk with you for a few minutes? And I'm, I'm looking at my list. I'm looking at him. I'm looking at my list. And I'm like, oh, goodness. And I begrudgingly said, sure, come on in. And so they had a seat on the couch. And, and um, he starts talking to me. And he, he's having a hard time talking. He kind of has to stop and compose himself a couple of times. So I went and grabbed him some water. And his wife came in and sat next to him. And, and What happened was for the next 25 minutes, and I remember because I was watching my clock, for the next 25 minutes, I heard his story. I heard like like all that God had happened and all all that had happened in his life. And he had had a rough season. He he used to do 
uh, landscaping work, but of course it's winter time. And I remember it was winter because there was snow outside. So there's no landscape work in the middle of winter. Imagine that. And so he was out of work. Um, he ended up having an issue with his car. So he had to put some money into his car. And now he was at the point where he couldn't afford his entire rent. He only had a portion of the rent. And uh, he's just getting a little overwhelmed with what's happening in, in life. He had applied for uh, SSI. I guess he had a disability of some sort. So he's, he's waiting to hear back about some SSI money that would help them survive. And he's, he's says, man, pastor, I'm just at the end of my, my, end of my rope. I don't know what to do. Would you just pray for me? I'm sitting here thinking, all right, all right. And uh, so I pray for him and he says, you know, one more thing. He said, you know, um, I, I, I would like to do something. I've got to do something to make some money. Would you by chance have a snow shovel that I could use, uh, that I could have so I can go shovel some snow and make some money so we can pay rent? And I'm like, all right, 25 minutes. I've got a snow shovel in the back. Absolutely, I'll go find my snow shovel. So I go back in the back of the ministry center to look for my snow shovel Unfortunately, this is one of the disadvantages of being a set up and tear down church is we had taken that snow shovel to church on Sunday to shovel the snow here. And that snow shovel got put into the trailer on Sunday afternoon. So there's no snow shovel at the office. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, this guy needs a snow shovel. If I got to go to Ace Hardware or Home Depot and go buy a snow shovel for this guy, it's going to take like a half an hour. And, and so I'm like, oh, goodness. So sure enough, I said, all right, man, I'll meet you back here in a few minutes. So I drove down, uh, bought a snow shovel, bought him a little grocery card, and uh, came back. And, and by the time all, said, all, said, all was said and done, like an hour and 20 minutes, hour and a half had passed that I had spent just talking to this guy and hearing a story and trying to encourage him and, and giving him a snow shovel and uh, got to the end of the day, and my list was just as long. And I... I'm just wanting to be honest. Like, that was hard for me. Like, I knew it was the right thing to do, but like, like I just didn't want that interruption. I had too many other things that were important that had to happen. So a couple weeks later, um, again, it was, a, it was a Friday and I was getting ready to take off. Um, I think my wife said, hey, why don't you take off early and we can do something with the kids. And so uh, I, I, I'm getting all my stuff packed up and I'm turning all the lights off in the office. And I'm getting ready to walk out the door and guess who comes walking back in? It was this guy. And I noticed two things as he walked in. I noticed he had the shovel. And the shovel was like, it was like, it got beaten up. Like it had seen some work. He'd been shoveling some driveways. And the other thing I noticed is he had these red marks all over his arms and all over his face. <clears throat> and I'm like, hey, I'm just headed out the door. What, what, what's up? And he says, can I just talk with you? And I'm like, okay, okay. And, uh, he says, here's, here's, here's what happened. He said, because we couldn't pay the entire rent, we got evicted. And, uh, and he said, you know, I uh, tried to shovel the driveways and we got some money and we put it aside. And so we, um, we got into, uh, he said, we, 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 when we got evicted, he said, we needed a place to go. So we went to the shelter. We thought that would be a wise place for us to go. Waiting for my SSI money to kick in, waiting to get things taken care of. He says, I'll go to the shelter. But he said, I got bed bugs all over. And you can see the red spots all over his body. And so he says, so he said, so last night, me and my wife, we slept in the car and it was really cold. He said, so I, I wanted to come and bring you your shovel and say, thanks for helping us. You can have your shovel back. And I just asked if you'd say another prayer for us. And I'm sitting here looking at this guy and I'm like, oh, 
I really need to get going home. We have all these things going on. But I just don't feel like I can go home and not do something for this guy. So I, I, I thought, well, I know that there's a, there's a motel that we've worked with in the past that, that pays really cheap. It's $30 a night, and you can get a week for a couple hundred dollars. And, and I said, well, what's your SSI look like? And he says, we're supposed to have it by beginning of next week, and, and I'm just waiting for that. And, and we're just trying to survive until then. And I'm like, all right, let me pray for you. And I said, then I'll go, and I'll do some things, and I'll meet you back here in, in half an hour, and we'll be able to help you. So I went and got him this, this visa card so he could get into this hotel, called the hotel. Took me about a half hour to get all that stuff done. Got him uh, some, some help, some groceries, and said, I'll meet you back at the office. And of course, after a half hour, I'm back at the office, and he's not there. He had gone to the library or someplace. So it took him another half hour to get back to the office. So now, as I was looking to leave, it's now an hour later, and this guy, you know, finally comes in. And he's really appreciative, really good guy, and, um, and had the chance to, to give that to him. And again... I just want to, maybe you guys are really judging me right now, like, what a bad pastor. I'm not that bad of a guy, I promise. I just want to be open and honest with you on how sometimes interruptions are, are, are hard to deal with because we have all these other things we want to do, all these other uh, priorities and things that we want to accomplish. And, and this was an example of an interruption. And this is a good guy. He's been to the church a couple of times and, 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 and hadn't seen him in, in six months until... He came in this week. He said, hey, just want to thank you for, uh, for saving our life. He said, you, you know, we, we didn't ask for much, but you were just phenomenal. God used it. He said, we're in a house. Uh, my wife is working and uh, we're just blessed. And he said, I, I got this for you. And I wanted to come and bring this and give this to you as a thank you just for what you did for us uh, a few months ago. And I have to admit, this took a lot of uh, become a very cool gift for me. And it also brought a lot of conviction. It brought a lot of conviction in my own life because of how I deal with interruptions, how I deal with distractions to the things that I have going on in my life. I mean, how many of you, how many of you would say that sometimes you get frustrated by the distractions that occur in your life? Like things happen, you're just frustrated. And this, this can be good distractions or bad distractions. But when you have a plan, when you have, have something going on, you want to focus on here. And sometimes you don't want to have the distraction that diverts your attention and makes you do different things. And so we all have these daily interruptions that happen in our life. You know, you might, you might be doing something and you get that phone call from a family member or a friend saying, Hey, I need help. Would you come and, and do this for me? Would you come? And you're like, oh, man, I know I should, but oh, I got all these other things. Uh, maybe, maybe you're at work and maybe your boss comes and is like, hey, here's what I need. And I don't know, this is, you know, this is how we, my, oh, my boss was always like this. He was like, hey, hey, I know you've got a lot of things going on, but here I need this done and I need it done the next 25 minutes. So you got to drop everything and get this done. And you're like, it's going to take me a week and you want it in a day. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's... Uh, um, Maybe it's like this. Maybe when you're having dinner, and I don't know, like, I don't know, not many people have landlines anymore, but I used to hate when you're sitting down for dinner and the telemarketer calls. And you're like, that's the worst interruption. Like, like, stop calling me. I just want to eat dinner with my family. Moms, I think about you, you parents in here. Uh, you know, moms, sometimes like the worst, uh, the, the best thing you can do for yourself is like trying to get just a few minutes alone in the bathroom. Like, that's your quiet time. And then you get the disruption of the knock on the door. Mom, she did this to me and she hit me. And you're like, can't I just get like three minutes to myself? Life interruptions. 
Like those are daily interruptions. Sometimes we get those big life interruptions where things change. You get the pink slip at work. Creates that financial hardship. Creates that difficulty of what are we going to do now? How are we going to recover? You get that life going good and then you get that, that diagnosis. There's this health issues. There's this sickness. And all of a sudden everything else is, is, is dropped because now you've got this interruption in your life that's got to be dealt with. And what I know is that interruptions are inevitable. And I don't care, you know, I don't care if you're that type A personality who plans everything to a detail, who has everything organized, you know, exactly what you're going to do, and you try and control life and say, this is exactly the way things are going to go. Even if you're that person, interruptions are inevitable. In fact, I would guess that, that all of us and most of us in here, if you're a Christian, I would guess that the way you found Christ was an interruption into your life. Like here you are living your life. Life is good. You're doing your thing. And somehow God interrupts. God breaks in. And all of a sudden you learn about this amazing love that God has for you. And it's like you can't go back to the same because now you've, you've learned about this love, this God that has interrupted into your life. Or maybe, maybe for you, maybe things weren't going so good in your life. Maybe you were trying to do your own thing, and it seems like there was just brokenness and hardship time after time after time. And it's in that moment that God interrupted again into your life to say, man, I've got plans for you. I've got love for you. I've got so much I want to share with you. And all of a sudden, God interrupts and breaks in, and things are forever changed. So today... If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. If you need a Bible, we've got an usher in the back with some Bibles. And uh, go ahead and slip your hand up. He'll bring one of these up to you. Matthew chapter 20. We're in this series called Welcome to Church. And it's kind of dealing with, with who we are as a church. Kind of dealing with vision, uh, vision, core values of what we're trying to accomplish. And today, today I've, I've titled the, the message, Pardon the Interruption. Pardon the Interruption. And it's going to be... Uh, Helping us to understand a couple things about interruptions into our life. So uh, before we, we, we look at Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. God, I just want to come before you right now and just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that today for some of us is an interruption. That God, we've been going in a certain direction in life. We've been doing our thing. And God, today, you are going to interrupt our life. And we're going to come to learn who you are and what you want in our lives. So God, I pray right now that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to rest on us. That God, that we would feel your presence around us. That God, you would help us to put the distractions of the traffic and, and the parking and, and the other things of our life. That you help us to put those aside and just lean in right now and, and hear God. Uh, not just a pastor sharing his opinion, but hear your word this morning, that you would speak loudly and clearly. So God, we just pray and plead for your presence over us now, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 20, and I'm going to start reading in verse 29. And it says, And as they, which is Jesus and his disciples, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And the question I have to ask is, is, 
where are they going? Like, obviously, Jesus and his disciples, they're leaving Jericho. They're going somewhere. Like, what's the context? What's happening in the story? And, and actually, if you turn just a, a few verses before, you learn the context of what's happening. A few verses before, uh, verse 17, it says, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, so this is where they're going. Okay, here's the context. Jesus and his disciples, they're going to Jerusalem. They're passing through Jericho. It says, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. See, what Jesus just, what we learn in the context is as Jesus and disciples are passing through Jericho, they're going for a very specific purpose. There's a very specific mission, a to-do list that Jesus has to accomplish. They're on their way to Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be hung on a cross to pay the debt for our sin. He's going to be uh, murdered on our behalf. He's going to die on our behalf. And then he's going to be raised from the dead three days later. Like Jesus has a purpose. He has a, he has a to-do list. He has something to accomplish. And this is something pretty remarkable what he's going to do. He is going to the cross to give his life. To suffer for, not his sins, to suffer for our sins. This is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to, to, to give his life as a ransom and then to be resurrected three days later, conquering Satan and death and hell and the grave and all the, the Satan could throw at us. Jesus goes and he's going to conquer it all. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, this is where we're going and I'm going to make heaven possible for all of us. I'm going to give my life as a ransom. And this is something I want us to understand, like how huge this is. Like how huge what Jesus has to do is. I mean, I can just picture, like I know when I've got an important task in front of me, like I got to focus. I got to have all my, my, my energies focused. And you can imagine with a task that Jesus has in front of him, like he's going to Jerusalem to accomplish. There's no dilly-dallying around. He is going to see this happen. And imagine, imagine that Jesus would have been preoccupied with that task. He would have had, had full uh, mental focus, full physical focus, full spiritual focus on the task at hand. Because of the uh, enormity of what's about to accomplish, what he's about to do. In fact, the night before Jesus was crucified, remember Jesus was feeling the anguish over just how big this was. And he prayed in the garden. He said, Jesus, he said, God, take this cup from me if possible. God, if there's another way, if there's another way, please, God, take this from me. But ultimately, he said, God, not my will, yours. Your will be done. So Jesus, you can imagine like his focus and, and the things that he is focused on to accomplish his list. And you and I, we think about all the important things that we have to do. We think about that. The, the projects we've got to accomplish at work. We can think about the kids we have to raise. We think about the bills we have to pay. We think about the spouses we have to love. We think about the yards we have to mow. We think about the cars we have to get their oils changed on. We think about the TV shows we have to get caught up on. And, and all these things that we have to do that we think are, are so important. Man, just imagine Jesus in that spot. 
going to change the history of the world. So Jesus, that's his context. He's on his way to, to do what he came to do. And it says in verse 30, it says, And behold, there were two men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Again, here's Jesus. He's on a mission. He's got a purpose. He's focused on the task at hand. And he's interrupted. He's interrupted by two blind beggars on the side of the road. Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, come do something in our life. And Jesus would say, man, man, don't you know what I've come to do? Like if you blind guys, if you knew what I was coming to do, like I'm coming to make heaven possible for you. That's so much greater than you having money to eat or you being able to see like, like, if you understand what I'm doing for you, you wouldn't be asking me to stop right now. Like, understand that. And it says, the crowd, verse 31, the crowd, they rebuked the blind guys, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. I think it's interesting. You know, here's Jesus. He's on the road to Jerusalem. He's preparing to give his life as a ransom. Why would the crowd tell these blind guys to be quiet? I guess a good question for us to, to think about. Like here, the, the blind guys are trying to interrupt what's happening. And the, the crowds are saying, no, you guys don't talk. You guys be quiet. Why are they telling them to be quiet? Because I think there's a couple reasons why. And I think the reasons why they're telling them to be quiet are probably some of the same excuses we give when there's interruptions into our life. See, the first possible reason why the crowds told the blind guys to be quiet could have been because Jesus was focused. He had more important priorities. He had greater things to, to do. I mean, Jesus had one thing on his to-do list. He had one purpose. That was to give his life as a ransom so we could be freed from sin and death and hell and Satan. Jesus would have been completely focused. And you think about Jesus. He's going to bring about good for all of mankind. He's going to pay for the sin of the entire world, which would have had such greater value than just him interacting in the lives of these two individual people. Like Jesus has the opportunity to affect millions, billions of people. Yet these two people think we're going to stop and just interact with our two lives like we're significant. The crowds would have said, no, Jesus, Jesus has too many priorities, too many important things to do. And you two are not one of them. Could have been Jesus just had too great of priorities. But the second possible reason this is why the crowds told the, the blind guys to be quiet. And this is probably one that if you and I are going to be completely honest, this is probably one that we have used in life. This is probably one that we use on a regular basis. And that's that the blind guys weren't valuable enough. Blind guys weren't valuable enough. See, certainly when we're, 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 we're talking about interruptions, what we tend to do is we tend to, um, we tend to create a pecking order of sorts of, of value towards people. 
And, and we, we look and say, well, well, this person is more valuable. So if they interrupt my life, I'm going to be more responsive to their needs. But these people over here, they're less valuable. You know, they, there's nothing I can get from them. You know, they, there's just nothing about them that makes me want to, to deal with them. And so you can imagine the crowd saying, no, you guys aren't valuable enough for Jesus to stop what he's doing to come and interact. This is where someone interrupts into our life. We begin to say, I'll help, but it really depends on who. Like if my spouse calls and says, I need some help, I need whatever done, without a doubt, I'm going to be there because I know what's good for me. Like I'm going to go and do that. Like if my boss calls and says, hey, hey, I need you to come and do this for me. I mean, I'm, I'm on it. Okay. But what about, what about, what if a coworker called you? And not just a coworker, what if the janitor at work called and said, hey, I need this favor. Can you help me out here? Like how many times are we, uh, there's no value in it for me. There's no benefit in my life for me to go and help you. I mean, I could, I could get going and helping your boss. Like that's going to help you in the long run. But the janitor, there's really not much value in that, you know? Think about, think about kids going back to school this week. Like, it would be easy for a kid to see the popular kid who needs help. Man, I'm on that. I'm going to go and do what I can. But what about that loner kid? What about the kid that doesn't know anybody? What about the kid that dresses a little funny, that, that, that looks a little different? Man, is there any value in me going and, and extending grace to them? See, I don't know your scale. But most of us are going to assign value to people based on what we get in return. And when those interruptions come in our life, I'm just being honest. Our response is kind of predicated on where they fit on that scale. How valuable they are, what benefit they bring to me. Because if there's no benefit for me, man, that's, that's a drain on my resources. That's a drain on my time. That's going to affect my bottom line. That's going to affect my family. It's not worth it to me because there's no value in it for me. So you can picture the crowd saying, hey, stop talking. We don't want to hear from you. We don't want Jesus to have to stop and be interrupted by you because maybe Jesus has got too many priorities that are greater than you. Or maybe you're just not valuable enough. Probably excuses that we use. So here's what happens. It says, the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them, verse 32, and said, what do you want me to do for you? Let me get this picture of this playing out. Jesus is on the road, and he stops. And he turns his attention to these two blind guys, and he asks this question. What do you want me to do for you? Imagine if Jesus asked you that very same question. What do you want me to do for you? Like, how would you answer that question? Like, Jesus walks in and asks every one of you individually, What do you want me to do for you? I think about the beggars. Like, we got to understand the life of a beggar. The life of these guys. These guys, we don't know how long they've been blind. Maybe they were blind since birth. And you can imagine 
you can imagine, they've probably gone and seen every doctor they could trying to figure out, hey, I'd like to be able to see again. You can imagine they've, they've exasperated all their resources. They've gone to every doctor and they've not been able to find healing. They're still blind. And because they're blind, that means that there's little education for them. That means that there's little prospects for work. That means that there's no income. And so that means that a beggar, a blind person, would become a beggar. They would stand on the street corner saying, have mercy on us. Help us out with the goal of just getting enough money to eat for the day. Just enough money to survive. Like this is what the life of a beggar was. And if Jesus comes and asks them, what can I do for you? Man, the easy answer would be, man, just give us all the money in the world. Just give us enough money that we would be satisfied. Just give us enough money that we don't have to beg anymore. Like enough money that we can live and be good and everything would be fine. Like, Jesus, just give us enough money. See, most of us, if Jesus came and asked us that question, we'd have a similar answer. Like, just give us the easy route. Like, make our life just a little bit easier. Jesus, just just help us take the the path of least resistance. Most of us, I think, would say, man, if you could make my life easier. But these two blind guys had a very unique response. Here's what they said in verse 33. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. See, this was not the easy route for these guys. Because again, I don't know how old they are, but they've got no education. They've got no job skills. And so the easy route would have been, hey, just give us some money and we'll take care of things. But instead, they said, Jesus, would you open up our eyes? Think about the amount of work that's going to be in front of them. Think about all these things. Think about having, I don't know, let's say they're 30 years old. Think about having to go back at 30 years old to learn how to read and write. Like, I'm trying to remember to do some of those things I did in high school, and it's a lot harder the older you get. Like, going back and trying to remember and learn, like, that's hard. The older you get, it just becomes more difficult. And here these guys are. I don't know how, I'm just guessing 30 years old. I don't know, that's just a number I pulled out of my hair, okay? They've got to learn how to read and write. They've got to learn job skills in order for them to go and be able to get a a, a good job. They're going to have to learn to adjust to this new reality of life for them. Like there's a considerable amount of work in front of them. And I'm not sure, but I'm going to imagine that their response helped bring about Jesus' response. Because they didn't just take the easy road. They didn't just say, hey, give us money so we'd be happy. They didn't just say, hey, just do this. No, they said, Jesus, if you restore our sight, there's some work in front of me. But man, I could be a productive person. So here's Jesus' response, verse 34. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. That word in your Bible, pity, probably one of those words that needs to be circled in your Bible. It says, Jesus, in pity, Now, the English Standard Version, which is what I typically use, uh, they translate that word as pity. But I think that's actually a pretty poor translation. That word in the original Greek uh, means to uh, to have sympathy, to be moved with compassion. 
So the NIV and the King James, they both translate that, that Jesus had compassion. And I think that's probably a better reading. Jesus had compassion. He's moved to do something in their lives. He had compassion on them, not just feeling sorry for them, but he's moved to do something about it. And here's the picture. Jesus, on his road to accomplish the most significant event in all of human history. Like our eternity is based on the single event. And Jesus stops. He's interrupted. And he devotes his full attention to the blind beggars that no one else wanted. That nobody else wanted to take notice of. Jesus stops and gives them their full attention. And he makes a difference in their life. And I love the response because you see in verse, the end of verse 34. It says, they received their sight and they followed him. See, there's discipleship. There's a picture of discipleship right there. The result of Jesus taking time out, of Jesus giving these men a f- attention, of Jesus allowing this interruption, is these guys said, I want to be your disciple. And they followed him. And they learned from him. And they, they, they became his disciples. We get to the end of the story. And I think there's two simple takeaways that I want us to process through. Two things I think that we can walk away from and say, man, this is what God wanted us to hear today. First takeaway. I think everyone of us needs to understand that we can trust Jesus because he loves and cares for us even when no one else does. Jesus loves and cares for us even when nobody else does because as we read this story, we need to see ourselves in the lives of those two blind men. We need to find ourselves in that story. Because chances are, you and I, we aren't blind. But chances are, we've been in a spot in our life where we know the desperation of the blind man's plea. Jesus, have mercy on me. God, I need you here and now. This is where the hurts start piling up. The burdens begin weighing you down. This is where the marriage is falling apart. This is when the money is running out and the bills are coming due. This is where there's that addiction you cannot kick. This is where the the anxiety and the fear make it hard for you just to get out of bed in the morning. And you begin to feel completely alone. And you feel like nobody is there for you. You feel abandoned and rejected because you've got your issues and your struggles. And listen, take this to heart. Because this story is a beautiful picture of God's love for you. That here's Jesus on the way to suffer the cross. Preoccupied. He stops. He's interrupted by these two blind men that everybody else rejected. That are crying out for his involvement. And he stops and he gives them his complete attention. And I know that there's someone here today who feel rejected. Rejected by family. Rejected by friends. Rejected by society. You've been told to keep quiet. Been told you are not valuable. Told you're not worth anything. And the story 
is such a tremendous reminder that God loves you, that God desires you, even when nobody else does, that God sees your burden, and that God desires to change your life. See, when we're at that point and we cry out to God, listen, you are not an interruption to God. You are his beloved. You are his chosen. You are his special one. Every one of us. And if you follow Jesus as your savior, you're going to be surprised time and time and time again just how much he loves and cares for you. And I just want you to be encouraged and reminded today about God's never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Because that's the kind of love that God has for us. That we aren't just an interruption into his tasks, but we are his, his chosen ones. The ones that he loves desperately. That despite whatever he has going on, he gives us his attention. Just reminded that God's given us that promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised us that his mercies are new every morning. That he is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. I hope you're encouraged by that. To know that despite what everybody else does, you have a God who loves you. Even when nobody else does. That's the first takeaway. That we can trust Jesus because he loves us and cares for us even when nobody else will. But the second takeaway is probably the one that I think most of us need to hear today. I know it's the one that I need to hear today. Second takeaway, don't miss this. People are our mission. People are the mission. We, we have this mission statement, to know Christ and to make Christ known. This is, this is why we exist as a church. This is our summary of the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. I mean, this is a way that we summarize the mission that God has given us. And listen, we need to understand, when we say to know Christ and make Christ known, it's all about people. It's all about people. And here, here's what I mean by saying people are the mission. Because I know sometimes, sometimes we get our priorities mixed up. Not that our priorities are necessarily bad, but we get them out of whack. We get them out of place. And so, re- remember me in my office. Like, here I am in my office. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to plan worship services. I'm trying to organize events. I'm trying to, to, to train leaders so I have leaders in place to, to meet with people. And these are all good things. These are vehicles to help us accomplish the mission. But listen, our mission is not just having great services. Our mission is not just having leaders in the church. Our mission is people. And here, God brought an interruption into my life of a person who needed to hear about God's love, who needed a tangible evidence that God loves him and has a plan for him. And I viewed this man as an interruption into the important things I have going on. He was an interruption. He was a mission himself. I think how many times this happens for us in ministry. 
where we like to focus on those objective tasks. We like to focus on, on this is what I have to do. I've got to get church set up on Sunday morning. I've got to, well, we're set up in teardown church. And, and after church, you know, we've got this teardown process. And the goal is to see, man, as soon as we're done tearing down, then I can go have lunch. And so we want to tear down as fast as we can and get everything put in the trailer. But I wonder how many times we miss the mission. We miss the interruptions in life because we're focused on tasks instead of people. Focused on, I've got to get this done Instead of saying, man, there's people all around me. People that just need to be encouraged. People that just need a friend. People that need a conversation. People that need to be prayed for. This is where it becomes easy for us to focus on objective tasks. Instead of investing in people. Instead of allowing the interruptions into our life. This happens in life as well. We focus on the objective tasks that we have in front of us. I think, about, I think about raising kids. I think about all these things that we do when we're raising kids. We're prioritizing so many things. We want our kids to, you know, do well in school. We want our kids to have good grades. We want them to make good friends. We want our kids to uh, have, have good, uh, good uh, intercurricular activities. So we're doing sports and we're doing music lessons. And, and we want our kids to be close to, to, to our, their family. And, and we, have, we prioritize all these things and we fill our schedules with all these things and these things are not bad. But what's the mission? I don't think our mission is to raise kids who have a good GPA. I don't think our mission is to raise kids that are balanced and are good at sports. I think our mission is to raise kids who know Christ and to make Christ known. I think our mission is to raise kids who love God and love people. And I'm just speaking to myself right now of how many times I prioritize all these other things in life. And then somebody hurting comes into our family's life. And I think, I don't have time for this. I can't handle this interruption because I have all these other things I need to do. And if I allow this interruption into my life, then that's going to take away from us doing this and us doing that. Do we even notice the interruptions around us? The people around us that are hurting, that are needing help. There's hurting people all around us, and too often we're too busy to invest. Somehow we fill all of our time with all of this stuff. Instead of focusing on people, instead of inviting people in. People are the mission. In fact, there's another story in Scripture, a story many of you would probably know, the Good Samaritan. Here's a story where there's a Jew who's, who's, who's robbed, he's mugged, he's beaten, he's left for dead on the side of the road. Many of you know the story. The guy's there, he's, he's clinging for his life. And here comes walking a priest down the road. The priest sees this guy, and there's an interruption in front of, his, in front of him right here. There's this guy on the ground, and he's interrupted, and, he, and, and he's thinking, man, I've got all these things I need to do. I've got services I need to plan. I've got people I need to see. I've got leaders I need to train. And, and, and I can't deal with this. I have higher priorities than dealing with this guy laying on the side of the road. And so the priest decides, I'm going to walk on the other side of the road so I don't have to see the guy on the ground because he doesn't want to deal with the interruption. Next comes a Levite. 
Levi, this is a guy who's, who's an expert at the law. He comes in and says, man, I've got so many things to do with my family. You know, I've got to get home and, and raise them and do this and that. And here's this guy on the road. Here's the interruption in life. Man, if I have to stop and deal with this guy, man, he's, he might be needy. I mean, he, he's probably going to need money. He's probably going to need, uh, he's probably going to make me sacrifice family time. My family's going to have to get involved. And I don't know if I want my kids to be involved with a guy who's, who's, who's obviously in a bad situation. Levi says, no, I don't want the interruption. And he decides I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. And along comes a Samaritan. Samaritan and Jews, they were enemies. They don't interact together. They don't have much grace between each other. In fact, if a Samaritan were to see a Jew lying on the road like that, he'd probably walk by and kick him and then walk on the other side of the road. But the Samaritan, he walks up and he sees this guy and he picks him up and he bandages him and he rents a room for him. He calls the doctor. He pays the medical bills. He tells the the, tells the, tells the hotel guy, he says, you know, if he needs to stay here for a week, let him stay here for a week, and I'll come back and, and settle up with you later after the fact. That's an interruption in life. And Jesus is telling that story to say, how many of us are going to be like the priest and the Levite? We're not going to notice the people in front of us. And this is where I want us to understand as a church we want to make a difference in our community. We want to see life change. We want to see restoration of lives, restoration of marriages. Listen, listen, we have vehicles we have to do. We have to do set up and tear down. That's who we are. But don't miss that. Don't mix that up with being our mission. Our mission is not just doing a church. Our mission is people. Investing in the lives of people. And this is just the simple challenge like, who will you allow to interrupt into your life for mission purposes? Will you respond? Will you open yourself up to people who are hurting around us? This might be someone right here at church. They're like, man, I've seen this person. I know I should just reach out and spend some time with them. And it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me time. It's, it might cost me resources. But man, I've seen this person and I'm going to do what I can to invest in them. Because again, people are the mission. Maybe, maybe this is someone, uh, someone in your neighborhood. Maybe this is someone sitting on the park bench outside of the building. Maybe, maybe this is someone that God has brought into your path recently. Or maybe this is someone that God wants to bring into your path this week or next week. The question is, how will you respond when God brings those interruptions into your life? I'm just going to be honest, people are messy. And it's difficult. And it's hard because it costs something of us. Let me tell you, when we respond to those interruptions in life, we make people the priority. We make people the mission. We get to see God at work in the lives of people. And then those rare opportunities, we get this little momento of lives that are changed. Lives that are affected because we responded to God's leading. 
And this is what I want for us as a church, that we would have a hundred of these laying around, of lives that have been changed because we responded, we made people the mission. We invested in the lives of people. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to come before you right now and just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace in my life. And I think about hearing a message that, God, I needed to hear, that I need to be reminded of. And God, I'm sure I'm not the only one in here today. God, I just want to come before you and just plead for your presence on us now. That as God, as we hear a message of how easy it is for us to get our priorities mixed up. That God, you would call us back to being all about people. That would make people the mission. That God, we would allow those interruptions in life so that God, we could see you work. So we could see your hand at work in the lives of people. God, I pray as we just, each of us wrestle with this, what this means in our lives. God, I pray that there'd be a time for some of us here as we respond to your word where we just need to confess and cry out to say, God, I'm sorry. My priorities have been mixed up. God, I have not allowed those interruptions. I've had too many other things that I thought were too important. I've had too many other things that uh, maybe I've ascribed value to people and I have not responded, God, to your leading. Maybe this is an opportunity for us to confess. Say, God, I'm sorry. And maybe this is an opportunity for us to say, God, I'm yours. God, this is where I'm at today, but God, I want to be ready for the interruption. God, would you bring people into my life? People that I can invest in. People that I can love and lead. And I can show them the grace of God and the love that you have for them. God, I pray that we would be a church that's all about people that you'd remind us that people are the mission. And that, God, we would see these mementos of lives that are being changed, marriages being restored, souls that will be spending eternity in heaven because we responded to those interruptions and vested in people. God, I pray for whoever, is, whoever it is in here today, who's coming in feeling burdened, feeling alone, feeling scared. Oh God, they will just be reminded of, of just how much you love them. Oh God, we are not interruptions in your life, but God, we are your chosen. That when we cry out to you, that's not an interruption, it's not a burden. It's a blessing for you. Because we're looking to you as our God. We're looking to you our Father. We're looking to you as the answer. God, I pray as we have this opportunity right now to respond to your word, just pray that you help us to wrestle with these things. And not just to think about them, but that God, as we walk out of here today, that you help us to, to practice these things, to live this out. And as we respond to your word, if anybody here would like just prayer from, uh, have a pastor pray for them. 
just as we have these two songs of worship right now, invite you to come forward if you'd like me to pray for you, encourage you, and uh, otherwise invite you to stay in your seat. You can sit, you can stand. Uh, Just respond to God's word however you need to today, whether that's in prayer and confession, that's in prayer and saying, God, I need you. That's in prayer saying, God, I need to feel your love. I need to feel your presence. Or maybe it's just joining in a worship, praising God for who he is. Let's take this time right now to respond to God's word. We ask this in your name. Amen.